Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from guest speaker Rob Morris. Wonderful to be back. I look forward to this trip every year to be back with you. Um, Thank you for, first of all, sending Kelly to see our work firsthand. She was a huge encouragement with us uh, while we were there a couple weeks ago. And thank you. I don't know if you saw that number, but that is called extravagant generosity. Almost, Almost half a million dollars you have dedicated to the work of creating a safer world for children. Um, because of your generosity, we've been able to now reach more children than we've ever reached before. We're rapidly expanding our work. We've, Matthew, my colleague, and I were talking this morning. We're like, man, should we even show that number? Will there be a sense of like, oh, we've given a lot. We don't have to give anymore. But now that you've launched us to another place, now we have to sustain that, and we want to continue to expand that. And so you've been able to enable um, that kind of work to take place. We've expanded through Southeast Asia um, in our work in the Philippines. We've now been rapidly expanding in the UK, and we've been expanding here in the United States of America as well. This is one of those issues that people often think just happens in a place like Southeast Asia, but it is something that happens right here in the United States of America, and we're working to stop that here. You've been enabling that uh, to happen. We've been able to, since 2010, reach over 20,000 children in the United States with our prevention education programs. Many of those kids right here in uh, the Houston area. We've been able to provide survivor care, direct services to uh, over 170 uh, children also here in the United States. So thank you for being a part of changing the world for kids and kids getting their childhoods back again. We really deeply appreciate that. This morning, I want to talk about something that is connected. By the way, I'm not intimidated at all by the Grinch behind me. because I know the end of the story, and we all know the end of the story, which is just a powerful, powerful thing. And, and this Advent season, um, our family celebrates Advent, and I remember always when we light that first candle, which is the candle of hope, it really resonates with our family because of what we think and believe about hope and where our hope comes from. And I had an experience this past uh, summer where I celebrated my 54th birthday with a friend of mine. We were out uh, to dinner, and he has the the same birthday, and we're both sort of old guys, and we're sitting there having this conversation, and we started getting into this like aches and pains conversation, where I was talking about how I can't even read menus anymore in a restaurant without my reading glasses, and and I've realized that over the last few years, I've lost most of the hearing in my right ear from years of playing in a rock band, and, and all of this, and we're talking about these things, and all of a sudden, we just started laughing. We're like, wow, we're like officially old now, because this is our conversation, talking about our aches and pains. And I was like, but you know what else is interesting to me is internally, I'm finding something else happening that's really encouraging and that hope is rising up in me as I'm getting older. That hope is actually increasing. And what's so strange about that is that we're living right now in a day and age where just the opposite is happening to so many people. I meet people all over the place who are sensing this giving up of hope or this growing uh, despair. I've had people even comment to me saying, man, to be hopeful anymore is to be foolish. 
And I hate that. I don't believe that. And, and so I've been looking at this hope thing for a while and wondering where is this coming from and why is this happening? And, and I recognize that even within the context of the work that we do at Love 146, there are two kinds of hope that we deal with on a daily basis. And the first kind of hope that we deal with is what I call a hope deferred. That the thing that you're longing for, the thing that you're hoping for, the thing that you're aching for isn't being accomplished. You don't see the results of the thing that you're hoping for. And so there's this sense of a heart sickness growing with that thing that you hope for, not seeing what you hope for happen. And, and so we deal with this hope deferred thing. And I love in Psalm 40, verse one, you hear this longing and this ache from the psalmist when he says this, I waited and waited and waited for God. I love that he doesn't just say, I waited for God. Could you, can you feel the ache here? In this psalmist, as he goes beyond that, he's like, I waited, and I waited, and I waited. There's this longing, and some of you can really relate to that. You're perhaps right now in a place in your own life where that thing that you're longing for doesn't seem to be happening, and it's not being accomplished, and the thing that you're hoping for, and there's this sense of a hope being put off. And, and Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And the word deferred there means postponed or put off. And, and this, this writer is saying, man, that hope when it's postponed or put off actually makes my heart sick. And I think about this even in the context of my own family. My, I have six children, soon to be seven. Um, we've adopted the, our four youngest children. And if any of you have ever been in the adoption process, you know that it takes a long time. And we as a family have found ourselves in waiting mode a lot. How many of you love to wait? Nobody ever raises their hand on that. I mean, or if I ask you, you know, how many of you know how to wait well? Most of us don't wait well. And, and, and my, my family and I, we've been in this place of waiting often in, in wanting to bring a child into um, our family. And I want to introduce you to um, the latest soon-to-be member of our family. This is our, uh, our soon-to-be daughter, Tai Min. She is in Vietnam. Uh, she has been waiting um, for a family for over six years. She's going to be seven in February. And our family has been in this process for some time, longing and aching and waiting and, and this sense of hope being deferred. And then I thought, my wife and I just talked recently, we thought, man, what is it, what, what's it been like to be her? Has there been a heart sickness that has grown in her because she has been waiting for over six years to be, to be part of a family? And in the adoption world, there's a category of children that's actually called waiting children, which basically describes children who have been waiting for a long time for a family of their own. And usually you come into the category of waiting children for two reasons. You're either an older child and not a lot of people are lining up to adopt older children, or you're a child with disabilities because there's not a lot of people lining up to, to adopt a child with disabilities. Tai Min clicks both of those boxes. She's considered an older child because she's soon to be seven, and she has Down syndrome, so she has a disability, and so she's been waiting. She's seen other children in her orphanage be adopted. She's seen families come and bring other children home, and I thought, man, does she struggle? With this, I waited and waited, this heart sickness that develops through um, a hope deferred. And then I think about the work that we do in Love 146, and oftentimes we see this heart sickness in the children that we work with as they wait for justice, as somebody has committed a horrendous crime against them and oftentimes are not found or captured or prosecuted or, or found to, to or, or 
moved into a justice system. And our director of aftercare says that there are children oftentimes that are walking with this sense of an open wound because justice hasn't been accomplished. They have the knowledge that this perpetrator that has done this horrendous thing to them is still out there somewhere, possibly doing this to other children. I remember two children four years ago that were brought into our care, very young, um, and they were literally, you could see the heart sickness in them as they wondered if this person was going to come for them again. If they, they wondered if this, was, if this person was still out there doing this to other children. And they wondered, why hasn't this person paid for what they've done uh, to me? And there was this heart, heart sickness developed in them as this hope was deferred for year after year. And then finally, just this past spring, their perpetrator was found, captured, prosecuted, and sentenced to 20 years in prison, which is a fantastic and wonderful thing for these kids as that tree of life as that hope was realized that they saw the thing that they were longing for um, accomplished. And that's the justice piece of all of this as we see hope deferred turn to a longing fulfilled. But there is this ache in a hope deferred. And so I've been on this quest, how do we keep hope alive while we're waiting? I waited and waited. How do these children keep hope alive? How do we keep hope alive when we're waiting for the thing um, that we long for? And there's a couple things that um, I, I think about in this regard. I don't know about you, but there is a sense of a gathering storm, isn't there? That it's just like you turn on the news and it's just craziness all around us. It seems like madness happening all around us. We're inundated with video clips on the news of the bodies of child refugees washing up on the shores of countries. We're inundated with news of what looks like increasing violence, increasing racism and terrorism. And, and our politics seems to have gone crazy and all of this madness. And I don't think that it's necessarily a gathering storm or the storm is getting stronger. Stronger. I think now we just have more instant access to the realities that have been happening for a very long time. But when I start thinking about the storm that seems to be raging all around us, I'm reminded, I, just this past summer, I was at my parents' house and saw a picture of my grandfather on, on a dresser. And my grandfather was sort of like the quintessential Hemingway's old man in the sea. He, he went to sea um, when he was 17 years old, back in the 1920s, um, to, to sail on the tall ships. And he spent most of his life sailing the seas on tall ships. And I remember as a child sitting at his feet and being fascinated by his stories. I love just sitting and listening to his stories from his times at sea. And, and the stories that really captured my attention were the stories of when he was in storms at sea. And I remember a particular story that he used to tell where the storm was so intense and so crazy. He was the guy that was on the top, the, 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 the top of the ship, steering the ship with one of those big, like, pirate ship kind of steering wheels, and they had to actually tie him to a post so that he wouldn't get swept overboard when the waves were crashing up over, over the ship. And he would be telling this story, and I pictured this, my grandfather there at this steering wheel tied to a post as waves were crashing, and I was fascinated by that. So I've always had this pull to the sea, and especially storms at sea. In fact, most of my uh, lineage on my father's side were all like sea captains, and uh, there's a little place in Nova Scotia, Canada called Advocate Harbor 
Harbor, where the cemetery there, it's a little tiny village, it's a fishing town. Almost everyone in the cemetery is related to me. They're all Morrises. And I remember going there and looking at these tombstones of Captain William Morris, Captain Michael Morris, and first mate this Morris, and all of that. And I always felt this sort of like pride, like, wow, my roots go back to the sea. I've never been to sea at all myself, but there is that beautiful sense of like this. And I love those stories of storms at sea. I love the reading the books like Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea and Shackleton's Voyages and, and Moby Dick and all that. And in my learning about the sea, I discovered this particular kind of person back in ancient Greece who was a mariner, and he had a title on the old sailing ships in ancient Greece. His position or title was called an archegos. And what this person did, what the Archegos' job was to do, was when the ship ran aground, when it was trying to get to land, and for some reason was stuck in a storm and couldn't make it to land, and oftentimes was smashed up against the rocks that were far out and began to get battered uh, by the storm and the waves, and there was no way that it was going to make it to shore, even though shore could have been within, within sight, most people would be terrified thinking, this is the end. Our ship is getting battered, it's getting torn to pieces. Most people would end up down below the decks and huddling there waiting to die, except for the Archegos. The Archegos's job was basically what he would do is he would tie a rope around his waist and tie one end of the rope to something on the ship, and he would actually dive into the stormy sea because he was the strongest swimmer on the ship, and he would begin to swim to shore, getting battered against rocks, getting battered with the waves and everything, swimming with everything in him to make it to shore. When he made it to shore, he would take the other end of the rope and tie it to a rock or tie it to something solid like a tree on land, which created this lifeline for the rest of the people cowering under the decks to actually make their way across safely through the stormy sea to the safety of dry land again. And he created that line where people could then make themselves uh, um, uh, go across. Can you imagine the courage that it took to be the Archegos? That the very thing that is driving everybody else into fear and hiding below the decks, this guy would actually face the madness, face the storm, face the craziness, and dive and immerse himself into it and swim like crazy through the other end. I'm thinking, this is a fascinating human being. What sort of courage? And I think it went beyond courage. And I think there was something else that this person sort of exemplified, and that is this sense of defiance of almost like I'm going to defy the storm. I'm going to defy the madness and actually immerse myself into it and go through it. And man, this is where we, this other form of hope that we've seen and that we're practicing within the context of Love 146 is what I call defiant hope. That sort of resistance, that man, the storm that seems to be raging around us, instead of being those that hide under the ship, there's a sense of actually we're going to push against it. There's going to be resistance and there's going to be an aggressive kind of hope. Hope is not something that we think is going to happen from the outside to us. That there's this passivity of like, wow, I hope things are going to turn out okay. Defiant hope is actually facing the harshness and the craziness and saying, I'm actually going to push against this with the belief that this is going to change and my action is actually going to be part of changing this whole thing. The word archegos actually literally means trailblazer, pioneer, or captain. And this thought has just absolutely captured me. You know, I think oftentimes I've met so many followers of Jesus in the last couple of years who are fearful. 
There's this fear that has taken over of what's going to happen, what's going on in the world, what's going to happen with what, our, our future and all of this. And, and I love, there's a, a writer named Margaret Wheatley who said this, hopelessness is not the opposite of, of, of hope, fear is. It's an interesting statement. Hopelessness is not the opposite of hope. Fear is. And man, there's a lot of people out there peddling fear right now. And you know what? We should not be buying. We should be those people. We should be like the archegos that is actually like defiant towards despair. That should actually be defiant toward what looks like a gathering storm. So how do we become trailblazers of hope? How do we become pioneers or captains of hope or archegoses of hope? I, I think we have to look to the archegoses of hope in our own lives. I go all the way back to um, uh, my parents who back in 1960 gave birth to their first son. And then in 1961, they were debating about bringing another child into the world and they wanted to, but they were facing a really difficult time in the world. Those of you that are old enough, you remember in 1961, we were in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Every generation thinks we've got it the worst, man. My parents thought, this is it. This is the end. We're in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, President Kennedy got on TV and announced it through the newspapers. He was encouraging Americans to actually, if you have any spare money, invest that money in buying a bomb shelter for your backyard because the missiles are pointed to her. You could Google this. You could see the actual announcements coming from President Kennedy encouraging Americans, buy bomb shelters, invest in bomb shelters because we're in a very precarious time. The world is on the brink of ending was kind of the thing. And so my parents were debating. They were like, man, do we first want to bring a child into this mess? I talked to people re recently that have that same sort of thing. Do I want to bring a child into this world, into this madness and the craziness that's happening? And then the other thought that they had, because they were not well off financially, they were like, man, it's very costly um, to bring a child into the world. And then there's the bomb shelter thing. Do we invest in bringing a child into the world or do we invest our money, what little we have, in a bomb shelter? And you could literally, in 1961, buy a bomb shelter out of the Sears Roebuck catalog. Google it, it's true. My parents are looking in the Sears Roebuck catalog at bomb shelters in the middle of this debate. And fortunately, my parents gave in to hope. My parents were defiantly hopeful people and said, man, we're going to have a baby. And they brought another son into the world, which ended up being me. And I think, man, if my parents did not have this DNA of defiant hope, I wouldn't be here today. There may not be a loved one 46 today. There may not be children getting their lives back. Do you see the results of when we become archegoses of hope? What could potentially happen? The ramifications that could go for generations is radical. We look to the archegoses of hope and there's plenty of them out there. There are the Mandelas of the world, the MLKs of the world, the Malalas of the world, the people that are sitting next to you right now, archegoses of hope. I think about Love 146's beginnings. When I stood in a brothel in an under, undercover investigation and looked through the glass at young children being sold for horrendous and horrific reasons and people purchasing them and having the dignity of even a name stripped from them, these numbers pinned to the dresses and seeing them completely shut down like these little robots. They were staring blankly at television sets with children's cartoons waiting to be sold and purchased and abused, except for that one girl who we to this day believe that she was probably new to the brothel because she was the only one that was not shut down yet. She was the only one not looking at the children's cartoons. She was staring at us through the glass and there was this look of defiance there. There was this fight in her eyes as if she was saying, you may take my body, but you will never take who I am, that look of defiant hope. Our organization was founded 
grounded because of an encounter with a child who is defiantly hopeful. You know, I want to show you another picture here. This is a picture of uh, years ago, about eight years ago, we were in Vietnam adopting our last child there. And we had to spend three weeks in Vietnam after we went through the adoption ceremony there. And we sort of hunkered down in our hotel because she was really struggling. And, and, and when we would go to sleep at night, we had all, all of our shoes we put next to the hotel room door. And when we would go to bed, she would sneak out of bed at night and she would take her little shoes and she would walk over to the door and she would shove her shoes into my shoes as if to say, you're not leaving without me. I've been left behind before. I've been abandoned before, but man, I am never going to be left behind again. I will not be forgotten again. My daughter in Vietnam was this sense of defiant hope. I will not be forgotten. I will not be left behind. A little archegos of hope. I think about the children that are in our care that Kelly was able to spend time with and dance with and all of that. They're little archegoses of hope. I have no reason to fear. I have no reason to give up hope when I see these children who have been through what they've been through defiantly hopeful, little archegoses of hope. You know, I, this past year, when I was at, at our round home in the Philippines, we had this dance party. And the first song that our, uh, one of the, the, the staff in the, in the uh, round home put on uh, the, uh, the, the speaker system was this song, Watch Me Whip, Watch Me Nene. I don't know if you guys know that song or whatever, but man, these kids just kicked right into dancing like crazy and everything. And I had to sit down. I was so stunned by what I was seeing. Children who you would think shouldn't even have a reason to smile again, dancing and whipping and nene all over the place with just absolute abandonment and joy. It was so powerful. And I was sitting there just stunned by the whole thing. When I caught the eye of a five-year-old girl who's been in our care for some time, she's, she's across the dance floor and she's looking at me and she stops dancing and she has this look in her eyes sort of like, this is not going to do, you sitting there in a chair. And so she makes a beeline for me through the crowd of people on the dance floor and she grabs me by the hands and pulls me out on the dance floor. And you guys, I whipped and I nay-nayed like it was nobody's business. I don't even know what that means or I don't know what that is, but I did my best. Because that's what you do when you're encountering the defiantly hopeful. And at the same time, in the same visit, I had a moment where I held in my arms the youngest child that we've ever brought into our care, which was this this past year, who had just turned one. This is a baby. She was sold by a family member uh, to be used in a cyber porn ring that was an international cyber porn ring. A baby. And I'm holding this baby in my arms, thinking about what this little one has gone through in such a short period of time. And after a little while, this, this, the, the baby started to cry and, and started getting antsy like babies do. And one of the older girls in the round home came over and took the baby from me. And another girl came by. And, another, and I just sort of moved away. And I watched them just engulf this baby. And I looked and watched archegoses of hope. That this little one has these examples in this home who have been aggressive in getting their childhoods back, who've been aggressive in being defiantly hopeful day in and day out. And I could picture this line of hope being spread out to this little baby where she'll be able to have these examples and these archegoses of hope in her own life for the future. And then I come back to, and this is why we're here, the greatest archegos of hope imaginable who is Jesus and who we celebrate coming into the madness and, and into this world this particular season. I want to read something to you in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, 
This is after Peter and, 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 uh, and John healed the, 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 the beggar at the, at, the, at the gate beautiful. Do you remember when the beggar was like, man, do you have any money? And they're like, man, we don't have anything on us. But you know what? In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he rose up and walk. And then a crowd gathers. And I love Peter always takes advantage of these crowd gatherings. And he just goes for it. And he does here. And he doesn't mince words. He says this in verse 15. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead and we're witnesses to this. The word author there comes from the original Greek, which means archegos. The original Greek word for the word author in the word of God is archegos. The word archegos was used to describe Jesus here. You killed the archegos of life. In Acts chapter 5, verse 31, it says this, God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as prince and savior. The word prince there, the original language, archegos, you, that man, God exalted the archegos um, as savior. In Hebrews chapter, ten, chapter two, verse 10, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer or the archegos of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And in Hebrews 12, verse two, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or archegos and perfecter of our faith. I don't know if this blows your mind, but it blows my mind that this is the only four places in all the word of God that the word archegos is used to describe Jesus. Picture this, our savior as the example of an archegos. What happened in the manger? What happened? It was you had a God who basically tied a rope around himself, immersed himself into the madness, into the craziness of sinful humanity showing up as a baby in a manger to create this rope, this lifeline of hope. He's the author of life, the trailblazer of hope, the captain of our salvation. Oh, captain, my captain. And I don't think it's enough for us to just be inspired and rest in the fact that we have an archegos who's gone before us. I believe that he has called us to be the same for others. We're called to be a people of defiant hope who don't hide under the decks of a sinking ship and the craziness of what's happening around us, but instead face it, jump into the stormy seas and lead the way for others who find themselves often shipwrecked. I want to end with this um, song that we all know. I'm not gonna sing it, so don't worry about that. But the words are so powerful, and I just think sum up all of this understanding of a hope deferred turning into a defiant hope. It says this, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. My hope, my defiant hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Because on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Maybe you find yourself this morning possibly shipwrecked in your own life by despair, by fear. You're overwhelmed by what looks like a strengthening storm. Look to those who have gone before. Look to the archegosses 
that have gone before, those archegoses in our lives that God has placed there. Look to the ultimate archegos, Jesus, who we celebrate during this Advent season as one who was not afraid, but immersed himself, dove into the madness, creating as a trailblazer, this lifeline of hope. And so, Father, would you make us to be those people of defiant hope, that we would lead the way, that we would be archegoses of hope for those who are struggling or shipwrecked all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.